0: What up? This is Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cash Flow Kings. The Cash Flow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and invest and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real
1: estate. Hi, and welcome to the Cashflow Kings podcast, episode six: Explosive Growth, Hard Work, and Hustle. My name is Frank Patilano, and with Jimmy Murray, we are here to help you crush your goals in real estate. So today we've got a,
0: a guest from our local investors network. His name is Mark Santos. And uh, his story over the course of the last few years is nothing short of phenomenal. He's been able to acquire a sizable portfolio, um, leveraging the Burr strategy and syndication. And uh, I think that you guys will really enjoy some of the topics that we discussed on this podcast today.
1: So uh, I wanna give a great shout out to Mark. He's been a great uh, person in the real estate group. Always willing to help everybody and uh, I actually own a property with them as well, so uh, no complaints from me on my end. Uh, that property is one of the best ones in my portfolio, so I can't complain at all.
0: That's awesome. So Mark, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here, thank you. So, so go yeah. ahead. Ha, so how many, How many? at this stage of the game, how many units do you own? Yeah, so we're, uh, to be honest, I don't know the exact number, but
2: it's around 100 units altogether. Um, about half of which my wife and I own, just the two of us, and about another half of which we're, we're partners in on. So not full owners, but we own a percentage um, and work with partners like uh, like Frank uh, to go in on them. Uh, it allows you to get some extra leverage, uh, get some additional units with a, with
0: a little less capital and continue to grow your portfolio. So I think that's a great topic to dive in on because a lot of people get hung up when they don't have the ca- capital to clear the deals themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. in your mind, as long as you have the deal, you should be able to find the capital. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on
2: the head, Jimmy. I, I think, number one, is number one advice for real estate investors getting started is try not to worry too much about trying to learn everything. Go out and find a deal. And if you can find a true deal, then you're never gonna have problems finding a mentor, finding cash, finding partners, finding anything. But the thing is, what's how do you define a deal, right? Right. You can't go to your local MLS and say, I found a deal and bring it to your partners. You you gotta do the hard work. You gotta find properties off market. You gotta network, you gotta knock on doors, you gotta do the hard work that everyone else is not willing
1: to do to yeah, do so. Absolutely. Always be networking. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's
0: know. Frank's big theme this week. So um. Nice, Mike is nice the master plug. networker, he really is. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, thanks. So uh, the main thing that we'd love to hear, and most of our listeners have told us on Instagram everywhere else, is how did you get started? What did you do before this? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. What do you okay. got?
2: Okay. Yeah. So uh, just a very quick background um, Grew up in southeastern Massachusetts, went to the University of Rhode Island, studied mechanical engineering, never used the degree, of course. Uh, (laughs) Went on in the Army, uh, flew helicopters in the Army for about 10 years, and then did medical device sales uh, for about eight years. And and then we got into real estate really full-time after those two careers. So I like to say this is my third career now. Um, You know, Kiyosaki, I'm a big fan of, like many of you are as well. Um, he specifically referenced his time in the military and his network marketing and slash sales as experience that he really valued and after reading that book I came to value that experience as well so I think um, don't be in a huge hurry to get into real estate full-time get out there get some good experience learn some discipline some hard work learn from mentors and when the time is right for you make your dive into real estate at least
0: full-time doesn't mean you can't do it part-time but um I think, that, it. I think that's a great tidbit, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about that aggressive patience. So I'm a huge follower of Andy Forsella and that's what mm-hmm. he talks about. Like Everyone wants to be so aggressive, but they're not patient in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a key tenet of what you just talked about. Yeah.
1: Well, I like that concept of patience, too, because when you think about people that just want to jump into it, but they have no experience at all, you don't need to jump at the first property you look at. Right. You don't need to try to put in a full price offer saying, oh, this is a deal, when the most experienced investors already know it's not.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, and just to carry on that, I think that's, that's exactly what we did. We had that um, aggressive patience, I think is the term we yep. used. Uh, so we started, I was still in medical device sales back in 2011. We had just read, uh, like many of you, Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep. Read a couple other books and decided to start looking at properties and really get in uh, and start our sort of investing career. Uh, we bought our first six-family property in Providence uh, back in 2012, and um, and continue to buy a property about six units every say nine to 12 months. Did and you realize how good of a market it
0: was in 2012? Oh <laughs> man, no, no. <laughs> I don't was, think anybody did. That uh, was that was me, right? So I bought my first one in 2013, but the market right. was still phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not thinking like I thought it was cool that I had cash flow. I didn't really know what I was doing, right? right. So. Um, I think we all kick ourselves a little bit, because uh, Frank got started a little bit ahead of us, right?
1: Yeah, I was in like oh9. I,
2: yeah.
1: I had three properties by 2011, I think.
0: Yeah. And See, it's funny, a
2: quick story here. Uh, the first property we bought was the Pink Palace on, uh, on Chalkstone and Claremont. Oh, that's province. funny. We looked and at Frank. That. Yeah, Frank had <laughs> bid on, not knowing him at the time, we bid on it as well, and we ended up winning it. And I'm guessing it's because he was so used to buying properties in 2009 that this house was just a little too expensive for him. So we paid a little bit more than uh, Frank was ready to buy, but we got it
0: and it's a great property now. It's funny that you say that because I'm even thinking about you know when I was scrubbing deals in 2014, 2015, some deals that were close, now those would be screaming deals today, yes, right? So how do we take that experience next time through the cycle Yeah, and obviously not overpay, but recognize that at that stage of the cycle, it may be okay to, you know, forward price your cash flow yeah. a little
1: bit. Yeah. We have to realize so for example the first six unit that I bought we paid under 200 for it mm. and it's in a wow. decent part of Cranston. I mean it's it's all one bedrooms, so it was electric heat but still it was cash flowing from the day we bought it. It was yeah. no problem at all. That's a great Now deal. it's worth probably 300 and change.
0: Yeah. I think you're selling yourself a little bit short there. Always, <laughs> yeah. yeah Sounds like based you know, on yeah, always. I know, I know that property. Yeah, you're definitely selling yourself a little too short. <laughs>
2: you, uh,
1: you know that property pretty well, don't definitely, you? Manage it definitely.
2: <laughs> so, I, I would say, you know, the caveat on what you're saying, Jimmy, is, you know, what I love about cash flow real estate is it doesn't really matter where you are in the market cycle. You you analyze the property at it for what it's worth. You determine what the cash flow is. If that number works for you, then you buy it. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's 2012, 15, 18, 19 you know, if you determine that you're satisfied with that cap rate, that cash flow, then then you buy it.
0: Um, So my dad came to me and said something similar. He said, hey, when this market turns upside down Mm -hmm. and now you're a full time property manager, what's going to happen? I said, well, things are going to get a lot better, right? Because, well, going back to the cash flow comment, one, as a property manager, gets better because now we have more access to deals so we can continue to grow our portfolio. But as an investor. Um, as long as you buy on the basis of cash flow, comparables don't matter. Yeah. So if you're that single-family home buyer, mm-hmm. that's where it's going to matter, yeah. right? So if you right. buy towards the top of the cycle, it's going to hurt. Yeah. Right. But in the multifamily space, as long as you buy based on income or cash flow, mm-hmm. you're in a great spot. Then you're going to be in a good spot,
2: exactly. And so that's where we went in 2012. We didn't know it, but we were buying better deals. But it was still scary at the time. And you know, we got up to about 26 apartments. Uh, I was still working full time doing medical device sales and um i'll never forget the day i was sitting working in my my home office and my wife knew i was sort of unchallenged in my current position in medical sales hadn't been real happy for a good six months or so and at the same time i was sort of stressed out because we're managing 26 units and and managing our jobs we had three kids um, and so i'll never forget she busted into my door and she said i got it i got the idea you're gonna go get your real estate license, we're both gonna work as realtors, and we're gonna to continue to invest. We'll be in the space every day, so we can buy more deals, and we can grow our portfolio faster. Yep. And that's exactly what we did. So, got my real estate license, left my corporate career, uh, about three, four months later. And uh, here we are now, about three and a half years into doing real estate full-time.
0: And I and I think that's where a great part of your story begins, too, because I can remember you standing in front of the real estate investors group saying, I'm going to double my portfolio to 50 units yep. next year. And then the year after, I'm going to double my portfolio from 50 to 100, and you've achieved that. Yep. So maybe you could talk a little bit about um, how you were able to accomplish those goals. Yeah,
2: so, you know, you
0: don't, you don't really realize how difficult
2: that can be to do. And... Um, or, or you think that it's going to be more difficult than it actually is. So right. you get in full time, you can dedicate yourself to it. You set an aggressive goal, and then you just go make it happen. Yeah, You, know, you do the things that are required. And so I remember the first deal we bought after I had left, um, we're making no money. We've got three young kids and we bought a four family in Providence, uh, a fixer-upper. Yep. And so bought it for $75,000. It was on MLS.
1: Smith Hill?
2: On Smith Hill, yeah. And. <laughs> In Smithville, and so we we bought it. We did some. We did a relatively minor amount of rehab. It cost a lot of money because it was big things like vinyl siding, heating systems, and those types of things. Yep. But it was an easy project to manage, and so I got some management project or some management experience on um, rehabbing a, a property. Got it rented within about three or four months. So got it cash flowing. Yep. And refinanced it right away, and I was sort of learned by accident how to do the borough strategy from bigger pockets. Right. Um, you know, knowing we wanted, were going into it to do it, but had no experience doing it. We just went in and did it and uh, refinanced it. And I'll never forget the day I got that check from our refinance to get all of the money back that we put into it. And I remember showing my wife saying, we're gonna do a heck of a lot more than this. This is how we're gonna do it. Exactly, right? we just got all of our capital back and we get to keep this cash flowing asset. I said, let's go find the next one. That's and awesome. that's what we started doing from there.
0: So you made a bunch of money on your first bird deal. What are the three main themes that folks should focus on as they jump into a burr deal or potentially think about tackling one?
2: Yeah, great question. I think uh, what I've learned from success
0: and failure in the
2: burr, which I can go into in an example, but, um, you know, number one, you gotta buy it at the right price. Um, You gotta, and then most important, I think, of all of them is that you have to understand how much it's gonna cost to rehab it. And that's where I see myself fail and so many other people fail, is estimating the rehab costs on either
0: a flip or a burr. Doesn't really matter, it's really the same thing. And even as experienced as we are, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's always an X factor in every single project that you try to, you know, keep the cost or estimate the rehab and even give yourself some room, but there was always something that goes over. It's not like HGTV where the ARV automatically goes higher. But um, what was your negative experience related to that?
2: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, just a caveat on it, the, the third is really just uh, having the right contractors do the yep. work, um, having the right subcontractor. So it all relates back to the rehab, really. Um, so uh, feeling really confident off that first deal on Smith Hill. We end up buying a off-market um, package of 10, 10 units, a 6-unit and a 4-unit. And uh, both of them needed a ton of work. I thought I got it for a steal. Um, was feeling a little overconfident, admittedly, after the success from our first one. I remember. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, got into it, thought everything was fine, but... Ended up dealing with a bunch of drug addicts in the house yep. that I knew was there already, mm-hmm. but didn't anticipate how difficult it would be to try to transition the building. I remember um, seeing the red unit. Everything was red. Yep. Spoons, dishes, couches, yep. Yep. walls. That was one crazy dude. Yeah, he had you.
0: giant pictures of himself well, on he, the wall. And
2: ironically, he was the easy one. He moved out on, on his own after wow. a couple of months, just communicating with them, you know, very right. professionally. It was, it was a lot of the others that were brutal. So six yep. units in that building, took me almost two years to get it stabilized um, and the rehab finished. Went through, had to do the roof over twice after I had done it once with the cheapest contractor I could find, found out why he was the cheapest because he didn't do the job right. Uh, suing him, um, but still haven't seen any money yet. Wow. Yeah. Uh, had hired a guy I thought was better. Uh, mind you, all these guys were licensed and insured, right? right? Um, Hired another guy, still didn't do it right. Then finally hired a guy and paid regular money for it and finally got the roof fixed. Same thing with the vinyl siding on that house. Hired the wrong guy. The project took forever. Ended up needing to hire two other uh, contractors to finish the job. And so learned a ton on that deal. And thankfully, I'm not going to be in the negative on that deal, but I'm not I'm not going to make near as much money on that deal as I should have given the work and stress and emotional ups and downs from doing that deal. Um, so I still own them now, we refinance them, you know, we ended up pulling most of the money back out that we put into it and they, they, they cash flow really well now but overall I would never do that deal again if I could do it all over again. Uh, it just wasn't worth, the, the, the money we were going to make from it wasn't nearly worth the effort and emotion we had to put into it.
1: At the time you were thinking about wholesaling it. Yeah, I was overconfident so when I first
2: bought it I thought, hey, let me just turn around and put this on the, uh, what did people call that? Um, uh, when you when you buy something
0: off market and then just put it right on the market and sell it a wholetail uh, wholesale yes yeah they call so, it wholesaling. yeah no i remember that so i remember going through through the building with you and i thought it was a great score at 180 right so or yeah. that's where you're trying to wholesale i it think at.
2: i ended up bringing it down like 170 trying to just make maybe like a commission on it and, and it uh, didn't sell which didn't i was sell. surprised yep. honestly yep. so didn't sell so i finally said you know what after being on the on market for a few months i just said all right i'm just gonna do it myself and uh I learned some pretty, pretty valuable lessons to yeah. it.
1: So one thing that I want to bring up was just the whole concept of how amazing the relationship is between you and your wife, Sarah. One of the things I think is awesome is how she came to you with this idea about real estate. And you guys have been on the same path with that. Um, all the different people that I know, there's not many people with that type of relationship going on where you guys can be on the same goal structure. For example... I love my wife, but she's not a big fan of real estate, mm-hmm. and um, Jimmy, your, your um, relationships, they're not necessarily big with real estate either, they don't care about real estate at all.
0: Yeah, they're oh. too focused, they're, my original relationship that got me into real estate was way too focused on the dollars, not on the value of the financial freedom, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think having the right partner definitely helps out, and they don't have to be gung ho about real estate, but definitely supportive is a big factor. But Mark, maybe you could expand more on yeah. the relationship with your wife. Cause yeah, I'm,
2: I, I got to say I'm really lucky and I, I really truly mean that. I And when you're in it, you don't maybe have the same perspective as if you're outside of it. Um, so I sort of, to a degree, take it for granted how lucky I am that we're both sort of on the same page. Sarah's incredibly supportive of the ideas I bring, but she's also really critical and uh, asks the right questions before we jump into a deal. Um, she was really involved in the early um, properties that we bought and wanted to understand how the process works. And fortunately, now she has no idea where any of our properties are you know, even are. Um, I'll never forget the first time I brought her by that deal that we were just talking about. She was in shock and said, "Why in the world did we buy that?" And, uh, <laughs> so I had to make that right, and eventually we did. But um, she, she's bottom line; she's incredibly supportive. It is an under, um, maybe underestimated. Value. If you're going to do it as a family, you really do need to be at least on the same page and in agreement that that's your strategy as a family. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate because she participates in the whole process as well. She's a realtor. I'm a realtor. We both do a lot of sales together in real estate. She's also involved in flipping houses with us. Um, she's really involved in new construction. So we're in it full-time, both of us,
0: did um, in slightly different paths and avenues, but we're, we're both very involved. And I think it's awesome how you guys kind of have your own niche as well, yeah. right? Where yeah. her, I've noticed her side is more the new construction. You guys have landed some massive condo de- developments, yeah, which exactly. is huge. Yeah,
1: some probably. nice high-end stuff as she's, well.
2: She's done. She's doing a great job, man. Uh, I'm, I'm really lucky to have her. So, Sarah, I hope you appreciate that plug. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> so what do you uh, consider... Right now, in this time of the market, uh, what do you consider your primary investing focus?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, it's Ironically, it's sort of, fo- believe it or not, it's sort of focusing on our real estate sales, <laughs> growing it. And the reason is because the market's so strong. And so, you know, I do a lot of direct mail, and the, in- the first intention is always to buy properties. But more and more, and much more so than, say, three years ago, I find those conversations turning towards listing the property for sale rather than buying the property direct from the owner. Um, And it always goes back to just finding what's best for us and what's best for the seller, the current owner. Uh, But right now what we're finding is it's just better for them to list it with us because we can can sell it at a great price on the market, Um, we can earn a commission from it, which is great. Um, But the the intention is still to buy those deals. And we still are buying some off-market, but it certainly isn't as much as it was three years ago. Um, where we were starting to generate a lot of these deals, especially like the syndications, which we'll talk about eventually. So to go
1: with that, real estate is very much about cycles. You're still trying to buy stuff now, but at the same point, you're also holding back a little bit because you know there'll be good times again in the future. Yes. you yes. know some, some people, especially some of the beginners that we know, are rushing out and setting a goal that they want to own three buildings in the next year when they own nothing now. Yeah. right? And that's not necessarily the best strategy at this moment.
0: Yeah. Right, so that goes back to that aggressive patience, right? Yeah. Like being aggressive in the sense that you go out and you're hunting for buildings so you develop your farm area and you see where essentially buildings are trading, what units are trading at, yeah. but also having the patience to know when to pull the trigger. Yeah. Not Absolutely. necessarily trying to tackle a goal just because you set it. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm finding um,
2: exactly that. So. Uh, I'll give you one quick example. Um, one of the properties we bought last year was a seven unit uh, from a direct mail campaign, so off market. And the reason it was a good deal wasn't because of the price. We paid 365000 for it, a seven unit in Pawtucket. And uh, that's about market price, maybe right. a little bit below. Uh, But we bought it direct from an owner, but he he financed 100% of it for us at 3.5% interest. And it was a gentleman that we had bought property from before through off-market. So that was our deal last year. And so we're still absolutely hunting for those deals. They're they're typically not coming with price. Usually if we find a deal, it's coming with some kind of um, beneficial terms, like in this case where it's seller-financed. I
1: want to reiterate, there are deals out there.
2: Yeah, there there absolutely are. You just got to hunt real hard. There's no
1: excuse. Mark has always been amazing, like we said, with the hard work and the hustle. And he talks about me, but he hustles very much all the time. Yes. Well, I'm in good company. All three of us do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's the point of even though we're late in the cycle here, there's still going to be opportunities to find. You might have to hunt a little bit yeah. harder, but don't give up. Well, and we by, keep by, chasing.
2: By hunting, that's not looking into MLS three times a day no. as opposed to once. It's, no. It's getting out there and doing the things other people don't want to do. It's sending letters. It's knocking on doors. It's driving for dollars. Uh, all sorts of different activities that give you an opportunity to face less competition. Absolutely.
1: Well, we bought that off-market nine unit last year. It it ended up being a great property. Good point. You know, there are deals out there.
2: Yep. And you guys have been been, uh, really working that deal for a long time, right? Communicating with that owner. Yeah, well, it was it was a mail campaign.
1: Yeah. And after the, after about the 10th mailing, she says, uh, yeah, there we you got go. your first letter. It's like, no, you got our 10th uh, letter.
0: So so that's a good point, and not to give a plug for Grant Cardone, but he talks about following up until someone dies, and hopefully it's not you, right? So in that scenario, <laughs> you know, maybe you get a lead, and it doesn't work out one month in, six months in. You keep following up because eventually mm-hmm. they're either going to sell or get tired, and hopefully you're the person that they sell to. You
1: know, it's yeah. funny you say that because there's a two-family in East Providence next to one of my properties, and I know the old lady that lives there, wonderful woman, and she knew my dad, and every single time I see her, I say, whenever you're ready to sell, whenever you're ready to sell, I've been saying that for about 20 years, Yeah, and uh, you know, she's pretty healthy though, she might beat me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So, I know that um, a lot of our listeners are really interested in syndication, so I don't know if we could spend a couple minutes, Frank's probably got some better questions to ask, but um, I know that's a really hot topic in the market today. Yeah.
1: Mark, but just go ahead. I mean, you've done a few, so...
0: Yeah,
2: we've done a couple of these deals, and I, I want to emphasize that it all starts with a great deal. Um, you, you can't do a syndication unless you know that you can deliver great returns to your friends slash investors, however you decide to structure it. So, you know, this isn't one of those things you can buy a property on MLS and then think, you, think you're think you going to be successful finding investors to fund it for you. Right. Um, because it's, typically it's not going to be that good of a deal. Um, so, as to be more specific, we're, we're looking for a... Um, uh, an ROI or a um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the term. Not even a cap rate, but a um, IRR. An IRR of uh, upwards of about 30 for a for a um, for a syndication deal. And for those of you who understand that that terminology, that's a really high number. Um, so to achieve that, you, you got to find something that's typically off market. So one quick example was um, I'm really fond of this deal. Uh, so we did. Uh, a 15-unit deal that we put together, two separate owners. Uh, one owner had about, um, I think, eight units and the other one had seven units uh, across four buildings. Um, they ranged from Pawtucket to Woonsocket. But bottom line is we bought them, they, all of them needed some work. Um, so we bought them for, part of it was seller financed. Uh, the bottom line at the end of the day was we put a bunch of money into it, thinking we were gonna hold it and refinance it. The market got so strong that we we did our calculations and decided we needed to just sell these. So we had uh, four partners go in on it with us. They put in a forty thousand dollars each, and uh, we were able to deliver their their forty thousand dollar contribution back to them, uh, plus the interest that was owed to them within the first uh, less than two years. And we still own two of those four properties outright. So think of the profits those guys are going to get from that. And we will too. And by the way, my partner, Chris and I on that deal, we put $2,500 of our own money into that deal to get started. So that was a home run. I'm really proud of it. Um, But it all started with finding a good deal. None of that happens without finding a good
0: deal off market. Now, are there any special tips or tricks that you learned along the way in terms of how you structure the money or any legal requirements as you tackle the yeah, syndication you process
2: be, very good point you got to be really careful with when you do syndication so there's SEC implications based on the way way you do it um, the way you market it um, for us we kept it relatively informal in the sense that they were friends they were all um, oh my gosh what do you call those qualified uh, investors accredited investors uh, Accredited investors. investors. Yep. so gotcha. that that eases a lot of the, the um, restrictions that you have and um, so we created a, an LLC with them we outlined the terms for them um, Typically, we did. You know, you do a preferred return for the investment, the money that they have. So you pay them first, and then anything above and beyond that is split based on the percentage ownership from each of you. And the intention is to either refi or sell after a certain point to get their initial investment back to them. So then everybody's whole in the deal, and you hold that asset and just split the cash flow uh, that the properties generate. In this case, that was the plan, uh, but because the market gets so strong, we ended up selling um, at least half of the portfolio, and now we're holding, for now, the um, the other two
0: properties. And then they're probably on the phone pleading with you to put the money back to work, right? Yes. Because did so yeah. well in the first place. Find one. us another deal, and yeah. what you
2: say to them is, well, you
0: gotta be patient, because they're just harder to come by right now,
2: and yep. we're not gonna do a syndication deal unless we know that we can deliver for the friends and investors
1: that we have. So going with that, it's probably not a good first deal for the average person. No, no,
2: no, and and I, it's funny, it's a great point, Frank. So. You know, I look back and say, you know, what what gave those investors the trust in us to, to give them forty thousand dollars of their retirement money, right? That's a big, big deal to those folks, and and we definitely take it seriously. So, I thought back and said, how did we earn the right to do this? You know, number one, you know, we we're, we're good friends with these folks, but most importantly, you know, we had earned the right by doing some rehabs, some Burr models, and growing as investors up to the point where we can say confidently that we can do this and deliver. Um, We had the systems in place, the acquisition systems, the property management systems, the rehab systems, the finance systems to do it all, uh, the lending and uh, financial systems uh, to do so. So all the key pieces were in place. We had experience with all those key pieces and that made us feel confident to do it. And I think it gave confidence uh, for the investors to join with us. Absolutely. It's all about having that street cred sometimes. Absolutely but it's got to be earned yeah right so
1: so as we're finishing up the podcast two quick questions for you the first one is that for a new investor what would you recommend that they do in order to get better and know more about real estate
2: yeah i thought about this because i've listened to all your other podcasts and so you know i think two things uh number one if you haven't read the millionaire real estate investor by gary keller that is my favorite real estate investing book. It, to me, it's like a textbook on how to invest in real estate. I have it tabbed, I have it in my desk, I reference it all the time. Um, it's it's an inspirational book, but it's also a how-to book. Uh, so I love the combination of the two. Um, I, I say that the name is a little misleading. It sounds sort of cheesy, uh, the title. But once you start reading the book, you understand exactly why it's titled that. It's not about the money, it's about how to achieve certain goals within real estate in four different stages so love the book wouldn't couldn't recommend it more and then number two is you gotta just get out there and start looking at property you know I I see so many young new investors just wanna read as many books as they can and and put their team together and put everything in place and then they feel like they can start looking at properties that is a recipe for failure um, and uh, disillusionment so I would say you just got to get out there and start looking at properties. Even if you're not ready to make an offer, you got to start to get a feel for what you're going to be comfortable with. Um, Different tenant disposition, different areas of the cities, um, uh, different neighborhoods, all those types of things. You want to start to get that subjective feel uh, for what you're comfortable with.
1: I prefer you get out there and have no plan of making an offer, just to build the experience of seeing units. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's huge. So... We hope that you guys liked podcast episode six with Mark Santos. Um, You know, our goal on this podcast is to give back and consistently educate you guys. So if you liked it, if you could share it, whether it be on Facebook, give us a follow on Instagram. We definitely appreciate that. So we can continue to, you know, help you guys out and hopefully help others out along the way. Um, So we hope you enjoyed the Cashflow Kings podcast. Um, Feel free to check out our website at www.cashflowkings.com or check us out on Instagram and Facebook under The Cash Flow Kings. Here's to your success.
1: The Cash Flow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice. Each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions.